You're listening to the Take Him With You podcast with Rick and Amy on the Stitcher Radio Network. Hey everybody, it's the Take Him With You podcast, episode number 278 for July 6th, 2014. I'm Rick. And I'm Amy. There you go, a little bit of Matt Kearney. I like it. He's the same guy that did, I would take a bullet for you. Cool. Yeah, he's got some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So welcome, everybody, to our podcast. Yeah, welcome. Gosh. What? <laughs> you were. She was getting down to the music. I was doing a little Saturday Night Live no, finger no. dancing. No, that's Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever finger dancing. I'm not going to say because <laughs> I just smiled a lot. And then you made me laugh. You giggled. Then I giggled. I guess I can still make a giggle. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I should tell puns that I've already heard a hundred times, but I love you anyway. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy week already. My gosh, and it's not over. No, not no. quite. We have a big day tomorrow. Yeah. So, what did you do this week, dear? Well, lots of stuff. Oh, by the way, we're gonna play the second part of the interview with uh, our buddy Greg Blanchard. Yeah, and we have to apologize. If you listen to it on Stitcher, yeah. somehow our whole feed didn't get transferred, and we've we messaged, we've messaged management and haven't heard back yet because it's a holiday weekend and yeah. everything. So it only got forty-four we'll, minutes of the hour and three minutes. Actually, only thirty-eight minutes. I okay. think. Well, yeah. So we, we it really have got cut it fixed soon. off. If you're not patient enough you just to, go to our website you can go to the website or i believe itunes also has, has it, the whole thing has right? the whole part one and instead of only half of part one because i think if you listen to it currently on stitcher it only has like five or ten minutes of the interview and yeah. then it and then yeah. it cuts off so yeah. apologize for that that was out of our control i don't know why it didn't load up all the way on stitcher when it loaded up all the way on itunes but so we don't know why. Yeah, we don't know why, but hopefully it'll be fixed in the next week or so. Um, but if you want to listen to last week's before you listen to this week's, and you don't want to wait for Stitcher to get it fixed, just you go, can to, go iTunes to iTunes or to take or him with take you. Take you with him. Yeah, that. Take what he you said. with him. What he said. Yeah. Okay, so now you can tell me what happened this week. Oh man, it was a busy week. 
You're trying to think, aren't you? You know, um, I know that last Sunday you preached out in Raymond. Mm -hmm. And I put that out as a special thing. Um, It's not on our feed, but um, I might put it at the end of this podcast if anybody's interested in listening. If you already listened to it, that's cool. But I might put it on as a like a an extra little bonus at the end. Okay. I did a message called, uh, what was it, remember? It was about like sinking or swimming or walking. It's called Water, water skiing, skiing with, with Jesus. Jesus. I knew what the scripture passage was. Yeah. I knew it had something to do with like the water, water skiing. So if you Jesus. already heard that, if I put it out as a special and you could just listen to it right off the server. But I think I'll put it on the end of this one. Did you put it on iTunes and Stitcher also? No, but it will go on there now with this new podcast. Okay. It's just a little extra bonus at the end if you want to hear the message. It was about a half hour long. Okay. And it was a good message. I, a lot of people were really encouraged. And the, the irony of it all is while we were interviewing... While we were interviewing... Well, um, I don't know. What are you going to say? Think, I think... While we were interviewing Greg, mm-hmm. we got a message from my brother saying, hey, um, the pastor that was supposed to speak um, isn't able to, so could yeah. you? And this was like at 7.30 at night, and then you no, had... No, we were interviewing Greg at 10 in the morning. Or 10 in the morning, but you had two podcasts to put out. You had a song Sequest. to finish. And, start, and uh, you had some work to do. Treks and Sci-Fi, we put out a, a podcast about the ships of Star Wars. So you were up till 2 in the morning um, getting the sermon ready for the next morning. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, my aunt is so sweet. She's in her mid-90s now, I think. And yeah. she um, listened to Rick last Sunday, and she goes, Man, you, you had less than a day to prepare for that. Imagine what would have happened if you had a month because <laughs> she thought it was really good that so was funny that was really good so last sunday we were in raymond then i tried to get a whole week's worth of work into four days yeah so that i could take friday off because our son and his wife our oldest son nathan and his wife ivy they got a little puppy this week and he is just so cute. We have our first grand puppy. Guster. And it's, he's had a couple names because at first they called him Sherlock. But then they, I think, thought it was he's too Guster. long. So now he's Gus or Guster. Yeah. And, and it, his full name might be Guster Sherlock or something. But they're, they're going to shorten it to Gus or Guster. People don't care if our yeah. son has a dog. Okay. Well, the re- I'm getting around to a reason why I'm saying that. Mm. is that because of that, they said, well, why doesn't everyone come over to our house on the 4th of July? So we went over and played with their puppy on the 4th of July and yeah. barbecued with them and hung out with them. and Had a really good time. Yeah. Our, our younger son and his wife came over there. And so, and then we had to get back to our dog in the evening and sat on fireworks our, don't set well with her. So we sat on the porch and comforted her. She kind of shivered under our chair and we petted her. Oh, she was fine. <laughs> she was fine. And we, we played some crib and um, cribbage. and Which my wife won. And um, my so, wife always wins. No, you, you won today. Andrew mm-hmm. and... and Kira came over today and we played crib and mm-hmm. you beat both Kira and I. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, 
for old fogies. Family times are good. Family times are some of the best times in the world. So. They are, but um, so yeah. that's kind of what we did this week, and then what tomorrow we're we're headed off to Lake Quinault to do a in the rainforest, ladies and gentlemen, to do a photo shoot. Which you probably, now that we're thinking about that, probably need to take your rain equipment, special rain equipment you bought for your camera, just, yeah, in, just case. in case. Yeah, you never know. And I'll bring a, um, a golf umbrella. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, It's an outside wedding, isn't it? Yeah, it's not supposed to rain tomorrow, so we should be okay. <laughs> but we are going to the rainforest. I know. So it does rain more in the rainforest. Yes, it, it does. It's been sprinkling on it off and on today. So. Well, this week I had quite quite a, lots of adventures. Yeah. I got called last minute to do a video shoot. Mm-hmm. Two mornings in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early, early mornings. And I got contracted to do uh, some new songs. Mm-hmm. And I've got a script that I have to work on and uh, something else I was going to say, but I can't remember what it was now. Huh. Something important, too. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Okay. I'm bad. Well, you... You've had lots of work, and then, then you got a really. Can I tell about your cool call you got today? Oh yeah, this is kind of this cool. is kind of neat because um, I don't. I think we've talked about on the podcast before that when we first met, you had been working for a couple different local radio stations on weekends, like mm-hmm. part time while you're going to college. Yeah. Um, and then when we. Right after we got married, um, someone had bought one of the local stations and said, hey, could you be the program director and and one of the DJs and um, get us started with a Christian format? And so you got a bunch of music recorded and, you know, got got it all organized and stuff. I I can't remember. Back then, you played a lot of it on carts and... And you did have some records, didn't you? But a lot mm-hmm. of, yeah. So anyway, you did that LPs, for... LPs, the, the big vinyl things with the holes in the middle. So between your secular work in radio and 10 years in Christian radio, you were in radio for like 12 years total. Yeah, yeah or so. And so um, you had quite a bit of experience with that, but... So you got a call today from a, a f- friend of ours who's a DJ at one of the local stations. The morning disc jockey. Yeah, you used to be the morning disc jockey on the yeah. um, Christian KG. Yeah, it was really, it was it was kind of nice though. They were looking for somebody to do some part time work, fill in work while they go do vacations and stuff. Uh huh. They and thought of you. They were having a meeting last week and they thought about me, which I thought was really nice. I'm, yeah. I didn't solicit that or anything, but how cool is that? It fits mm-hmm. right in with my voiceover stuff. So, I just thought yeah. that was really nice. It made me feel really good. Yeah, and so I'm gonna go sit down with them and see if, what I can do to help. And if I can, know. you might hear me on the radio. You never know; they might need you to help with some commercials or something too down the road. It might enter, um, go in because you've done a lot of that. You you did a lot of commercials and kind of radio specials and stuff. That's right, Amy, on KDUX, the rock of the coast. <laughs> might need to use a throat lozenge it sounded a little rough yeah it sounded rough didn't it It yeah (laughs) kdux the rock of the coast 
Okay, whatever. So, um, <laughs> I was just saying that was nice that they thought of you. Yeah, it was. Since it's been a while since you've been in radio. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I should mean, have answered, hello? <laughs> is, is this thing on? But, I mean, you, you did full-time pastoring for a, a long time and hadn't been involved in that. So, yeah. So it's cool they remembered you yeah, from days gone by. Well, and you're doing the voiceover stuff and podcasting. Which is kind of almost like radio, but different. it is very similar. Yeah. And nowadays, I've had to tell him though. I said, you know, I, I did radio back when they had cart machines, and records, and and all of it now is done on computer, and it opens mm-hmm. the mic for you and closes and everything. You yeah. get a certain amount of time to talk, and this is what you say, and and the computer does all of it for you. So actually, it'll be right down my alley because that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, you'll like all the gadgets and gizmos, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, with podcasting, it's probably pretty similar. And then you do a lot of, you know, voice acting and all that kind of stuff, too. So it's probably going to be pretty easy for you. To yes, I think it will be too. wonderful. Thank you. Okay. So should we get into the second part of our interview now? Um, we have... Um, you didn't want to talk about the movie we watched? What movie did we watch? You don't remember oh, what movie we yes. watched? Okay, Catherine had a a a, fun, a friend over, college friend over that she goes down to college in Oregon, but they're really good buddies, and so um she spent the night the other night, and they brought home a movie that I had been wanting to see called mm-hmm. Saving Mr. Banks, and secretly I wanted to see it as well. Well, we both grew up watching, you know, Disney movies, and mm-hmm. Mary Poppins was a staple of most of our. Just a spoonful <laughs> of sugar helps the medicine go down in the most delightful way. Yeah. So, and I love Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, and you know they just some awesome. I'm glad uh, you didn't marry him. I'm just saying they're very talented. I admire their talent and their ability, and they they just do a great job. So we watched Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. Yep, we did, and I I have to admit I was very surprised. Me too. Because I was expecting something a little bit more lighthearted, mm-hmm. and it was a lot more deep than I expected it to be. Well, it makes the movie Mary Poppins even way cooler. Yeah, it's a pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because it it dealt a lot with the author's imagination and how not just her imagination, but it, but well, how what she gone through as a child. But that's what I'm trying to say is how she took a, a very dysfunctional dysfunctional childhood and brought Mary Poppins out of it mm-hmm. because it was. Her childhood was not easy, and and yet, even as a child, there was part of her that you could see, um, you know, she made little stick houses for fairies or something, you know, and little castles or, and out of little sticks and leaves, and and so I think there was always something in her that wanted to create a. Uh, you're saying you're not world. even telling anybody who the character is or well the i said that the lady and... who wrote okay. the book that mary poppins is based on 
um, you know, it kind of goes back and forth with her childhood, and yeah. and so and it her was, helping write or or helping Disney come up with the <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> it was hilarious. And what was great is at the very end, and this isn't really giving away anything, but at the very end of the movie, they they played a real excerpt of her being taped talking to them about the screenplay and the lady nailed her oh she did a great job and and before they even got into the screenplay she was correcting the title and the yeah. description it's <laughs> really funny and they're and you're going oh this and then is t- gonna be a long process <laughs> tom tom hanks uh, also starred in the movie and he was he did a good he job did walt disney, walt disney and he did a great job yeah and you know i think I think I was expecting something more lighthearted, but it was still good. It was just more well, deep and okay. More... So I I don't know how many of our listeners know, but I'm not real one for emotional. I used to really like emotional movies, but I don't anymore. Um, just because after, after we've been through a lot of emotional stuff, it's not like I want to torture myself, you know. I mean, at the uh, the movies, um, we bought a zoo. I didn't expect it to be emotional, and I ended up sobbing in the movie theater. That was kind of a crazy time. But uh, I did watch this movie, and it was, there was a couple of very touching moments in the movie. And, uh, yeah, I cried a little bit. But it was just it was just so warm-hearted in the way that they approached it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So I highly recommend the movie Saving Mr. Banks. Not at all what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Much cooler. It, it's... I think I expected it to be more of a children's film, but it really was more intellectual and something that an ad- adult would enjoy. And I don't mean oh, adult yeah, as yeah. in like has I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it's just it just was a a way more in depth. deep program yeah. than I thought it would be. Yeah, a movie than I yeah. thought it would be. So. Agreed. So um, highly recommended from this family to yours. Yeah. It was. I can understand. I believe it got a bunch of Academy Awards and stuff. Yeah. Well, after they re- after they renamed it because it was originally named Saving Mr. Credit Union, <laughs> and it just didn't go over very well. So then they changed it to Saving Mr. Banks. And <sighs> that was a groaner. Okay. Now you can introduce <laughs> the second part of our interview. Okay. Tell tell us a little bit about the first part of the interview. Well, the first part of the interview, if you hadn't, see, I, will, I listened to the first part on Stitcher, so I actually haven't listened to the whole yeah, first Yeah, but you part, were there, dear. But I was there. Um, and I, since then, I've gotten, gone over to some of Greg's um, Walking walk, walk the, the Earth, walk walk the the Earth. Earth podcast, and mm-hmm. I've started listening to those. And aren't they awesome? They're very fascinating. They are, actually. And so, um, you got to listen to Greg's stuff. Greg Blanchard is is he's the type of guy that um, is a deep thinker, mm-hmm. but he organizes his thoughts, and he can just he can go. And I, I don't know how to describe it. It's definitely not a gift that I have, but he certainly does. And it's wonderful to listen to him because after you're done, it's you've been you're you've been provoked to think mm-hmm. and pray and to really study things out and look at things in a deeper way and that's what i love about him he's just a great guy so Mm -hmm. you need to listen to his stuff because it's really good so he does two different podcasts one called inappropriate conversations and he also does one called walk the earth they're the same feed look them up on itunes or in stitcher and you'll find him 
And it's it's very fascinating stuff to listen to. As you will see when you hear him today on the second half of the interview, we the only reason we split it up in two is because it went for a long time. So um, we'll hear the, the ending part of the interview and we'll be back to talk about it for a brief moment. And then we'll close and I'll play that message that I did uh, for as an extra bonus at the end of the podcast. So those of you that didn't get to hear it, you can hear it. All right, let's go. If the person who is central to your vision for the future of the entire world cannot hear you say, say get behind me, Satan, you're on the wrong path here, then we probably shouldn't be doing ministry together. Yeah. Yeah. And we're yeah, all human and we all do stupid things and we need people to hold us accountable. <laughs> so, so in essence, then the answer to that question then that, that I asked you is you feel that you are, you go to church in some aspects to bring, to bring a different perspective to the people that are maybe there and only in church. Yeah, I think, you know, there was a time in my life when somebody should have, it should have happened sooner than it did. Somebody should have, you know, set, pulled me aside, not publicly, but right after Sunday school, after everyone else left the room, pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, Greg, do you know any homosexuals? Right. You know, and if I said no, then the answer should have been why not? Mm-hmm. And I would have loved it if that person had had the wisdom to say, if I said no, they had the wisdom to say, Greg, yes, you do. More than just a couple, in fact. But they're terrified to tell you who they really are. Right, right. So when you're calling them friends, they see quotation marks around the word. Right. Because those people know that if you were really their friend, that there are things about their lives they could share with you that now they know they can't. Right. Those are words that needed to be spoken to me in 1986. Wow. And they weren't spoken to me until probably a decade later. And not as directly and not as impactfully as that. Mm-hmm. So somebody needs to be paying that forward, I suppose. Wow. And, and you, that's really interesting because that is very similar to um, after getting to know, uh, actually, you're right. We know a lot more gay people than we realize, but they don't want to say anything. And, and well, I mean, sure they want to, but you know what I mean? Uh, but, but very interesting concept there because that's what I ask people now when they go into a hateful tirade i'll say well okay so who do you know in your life that's gay and and some of them will lie to me can you believe that <laughs> they'll lie and say well so and so my my cousin freddie he's you know or whatever and it's like no 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 i mean really know them like you you've talked to them about this you know because i think before you go and say some of the things you're saying here you probably need to know a different perspective and then you know, you're taking what you've just been force-fed by someone who doesn't even know anybody who's gay, and you're assuming that you know everything about what gay people think. How is that? How is that good? How is that? Is that really understanding? Is that really, you know, maybe there's more here than you are giving credit for. And boy, does that ever cause some problems? Yeah, with my with my family, we had a an interesting vacation trip back to Oklahoma a couple, three years ago. And, you know, I, I didn't turn the television on and I didn't turn it on to Fox news. And I, 
wasn't here hearing or agreeing with anything people were saying about the issues of the day. But because of that, when we went to dinner that night, I actually talked with my little sister um, because we both have a very, very deep running spirituality. And the truth is both of us, I think, would acknowledge that our spiritual development is still a shadow of what our older sisters was before she died. So we, we kind of both have a sense that, that our, our faith is important to us and that we've seen examples in our own family of people who, who had a, a stronger faith. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about, I said, you know, so what is it you're looking for? I mean, her church was ripped apart in the uh, early nineties because they did a outreach ministry through United Methodist church, Stephen ministries. And they actually very intentionally went out and did AIDS outreach ministry. Mm-hmm. So working with patients who had, who were in the, you know, the throes of that particular disease and, people who were, you know, their loved ones who were, you know, kind of trying to deal with what at the time was still pretty much guaranteed terminal. And and some of those people were so moved by what the church had done that they started coming to worship on Sunday. So now you've got gay people and friends of gay people coming to worship with you. Right. And they told me this in the early 90s. And I said, I'm waiting for the problem. This all sounds great. <laughs> and they said, right. well, the problem was because some of them wanted to join the choir. Oh, no. I said, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out the problem. They problems. can't sing in church, <laughs> you know. No, and they said, "Well, the problem was that you know that you know they're st- they're still deeply committed to it. Committed, they're still committing intentional sin, and some of them wanted to read scripture from the pulpit on Sunday." I said, "I guess I'm still waiting for the problem." Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so a decade goes by, and my sister and I were talking about. It, and I said, "So this is the one sin you've picked out among all the others that you've got to heal yourself before you can let the true healer get involved." Wow. You got to stop being a sinner, at least a little bit, because Jesus can't handle this. You as a church have decided Jesus can't handle this sin. Right. They got to fix themselves first, then they can they can walk in the doors. Right. And so she and I were talking, you could tell it was really hard for her, and it's probably the, the worst vacation visit ever, right? But <laughs> right. <laughs> I sort of ended it with saying, you know, the problem that I've got in the church today is that all we're going to succeed in doing is convincing people to lie to us. Right. And I don't remember Jesus ever telling somebody, come back when you've come back and tell me you're not a leper and then I'll heal you. Right. Jesus always healed people right where he found them. Right. You know, but our faith needs to be strong enough as Christians to believe two scary things. One scary thing is, is my faith strong enough to believe that Jesus can handle all sins, including any sin I can think of. That's to me the easy part. The hard part is, is my faith strong enough to withstand the possibility that Jesus isn't interested in fixing this part of that person's life? Mm. What if the Holy Spirit has got bigger things in mind for that individual? Right. And correcting the thing that bothers me most is not on his list of things to do. Mm. Most American Christians don't have that kind of faith. No, no. And if, if you take yourself out of the church, who's going to remind them? That their spirituality is not up to the standard of my little sister and nowhere near the standard of my older sister. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Interesting stuff. It is interesting. And I, you know, you brought up the woman in the well a little while ago that Jesus told her that he was the Messiah. And in a lot of churches, and one of my uh, friends, on Facebook had made some thing, a hateful remark about homosexuality. And someone said, well, what about someone who's been divorced and remarried? You know, do you think 
that Jesus can forgive that, but he can't forgive this. And, you know, because it used to be 20 years ago, you couldn't serve as a deacon or a pastor, you know, any position in church if you've been divorced and remarried. And and I think about the woman in the well. At the well. At the well. Not she in wasn't the well. in the well. Oh, my gosh. What's <laughs> but, in my bucket? I mean, he, he said, you know, you've been married this many times over and over. And the man you're living with now is not even your husband. So according to Jewish law, she had committed adultery many times and fornication. And that's in, you know, these long lists of sins. And, and yet yeah, Jesus chose. forgave her yeah. and then commissioned her. Yeah. And it's like, yes. he's about grace. He's about loving people right where she is, you know, right where she was at. He forgave her. Yeah. And yes. I don't know, that's that's love and compassion to me. And, yeah. and that's pretty awesome. So, question for you, Greg. Why do you think so many modern-day churches are out of touch with the real world? Because it seems like you're they're either... 50 years behind times, or maybe 30 years behind times, or they're this mega, mega superstar church, and they're trying trying so hard to be relevant. They're trying to have the it factor. Right. Why <laughs> Why do you think that? Why isn't, why aren't there, are there churches out there that are full of just people that love God and want to make a difference and, and care about others? Or, or is it, why do you think there's such a, a, an interesting gap between reality and and church churches. Yeah, so you know, having been to fifteen or sixteen different churches in the last year and maybe two weeks. And that's why I asked you this question. <laughs> I, I've looked around and I will tell you that that first there are churches who are doing it well. Um, my wife is terrified of the fact that if we hadn't found a church we thought was doing this well, we might be looking forever at that yeah. she wants to find a home church. But I think mm -hmm. we have found one. I think that this church has been through enough trial that some of the uh, comforts that other churches are looking for, this church doesn't even consider to be relevant anymore. Right. Um, you know, so the church that we left, you know, people had gotten upset about, they didn't like the new youth leader. And we were having him do both youth leader and choir. And he, they thought he was too young. They didn't appreciate his, his approach to music. And they that stopped. sounds familiar. Yeah. I think exactly. Rick was that youth leader. <laughs> exactly. So they stopped giving to the church. Aww. And we got to the point where 90% of the revenue the church was bringing in was just paying utility bills. Right. Because there was not enough money coming in to do anything other than pay salary and utility, which means the church stopped, stopped, stopped reaching, reaching out. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then I, I went to visit one of the mega churches in our big you know, church search. There was one mega church that's totally like prosperity gospel. Jesus will make you rich. Uh, we didn't go to that one at all. We didn't waste our time. <laughs> I thought I I would respect them by not going because there was no way <laughs> we would ever join. Um, yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, I said, did did you go visit a Mormon church? And uh, this was while we were uh, we were on vacation. We met some people for dinner. It's people we never met, so it's kind of a random get together. And I said, well, you know, I I didn't want to lead anybody on. If I thought that that they would never welcome me into their congregation or I would never join their church. If that could never happen, I, I didn't visit those. So no, I didn't visit your, I didn't visit the Mormon church, mm -hmm. but we visited this big mega church and I was sitting there thinking, you know what? These guys have a lot of revenue. They got a lot of membership, but boy, do they have a lot of staff and a lot of building. I bet you 80 or 90% of their money is going to pay for the staff, the building, the property taxes. Um, the church is so big that every Sunday they have to pay the 
police or some security group to come in and block traffic so people can wow. get around the parking wow. lot. Wow, wow. So mega, mega church, right? Right. But mm-hmm. how much of the things that the Great Commission calls them to do are not happening because mm-hmm. they're paying for the landscaping, paying for the lawn mowing, paying to repaint the parking spaces in the parking lot, all those sort of expenses, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The young people in America today seem to be, the ones I interact with, seem to be very open to the idea of going out and feeding the hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they are more than willing to, you know, to you know, maybe not pray with people, some of them, but some of them, you know, pray with people who are, who are having a, a crisis, you know, displaced by a flood, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kids, kids in the emergency room getting a surgery. They're not that eager in sitting down and listening. They're not that eager in the good old days. So doing what we've always done, and hearkening back to that old experience where our society was organized in a way that people had no choice but to go to church on Sunday, um, that model doesn't appeal to people who are in their 20s today. Right. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It means that they want to engage in real ministry. And we sometimes lose sight of the fact that what happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is not ministry. It's equipping for ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. right. If you don't go out and do the ministry after you've been equipped, then what do you got? Uh, a one-sided deal. And and a lot of times it's not even equipping. It's just a worship service, which, you know, worship services are good. You're worshiping God. But I, I think a lot of times there's not even equipping going on in a lot of churches either. Right. It's yeah. just a social time. But I used to deliver the closings at our contemporary service at the other church. Uh-huh. Uh, it went away. But while it was still going, you know, before the, the infighting took over, and it didn't matter to me who was given the message. It could be the pastor. It could be a guest speaker. It could be somebody from the congregation. I always tried to give the closing. And in giving the closing, I tried to sort of, while they're doing their message, listen carefully and do some praying and say, how can what we heard today or the hymns we sang today equip us? How can it be a call? Applied, right. Yeah. Right. Apply it so to rather, our lives. Yeah. So rather than a benediction, um, you know, praying and thanking God that we were all got together and look over us and safely bring us together next week. Usually I would try to close with, you know, we heard today about this. What are we going to do about it? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and so even if it is truly a very old fashioned idea of worship service, mm-hmm. if the minister's done even a remotely good job, if he's given the Holy Spirit any room to work, most of those can lead to, hey, at least I got to write this down. I drive people nuts because I take my phone to church with me. And you write on and it. You write I notes. use the note I use the notepad function. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and sometimes it's just simple things for me, like, hey, you gotta remember that um, between two mountaintop experiences you have to have a valley. Right. If you don't have a valley, then it's not two mountaintop experiences. Right. It's just a plateau. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And um you know, the other day the pastor at the church that we're thinking about joining said uh that sometimes innovation isn't about doing something new. Sometimes innovation is just about walking away from something old that you ought to stop doing. <laughs> that alone is innovation. That's pretty interesting. So I asked him, I said, is that you or should I attribute this to somebody else? Because I'm quoting you when the next time I record. Right. You know, and he said, yeah, as far as you know, it was just him. But... <laughs> That's great. So I think a lot of people, a lot of churches are out of touch because they're looking backward. And they're not looking forward. And so what I do is I try to focus their attention on saying, you know what? Yeah, I remember back when the youth group had 40 or 50 kids in it. And I remember when church was filled every single Sunday. And I, I like you, like the other people in church, know that back then 
ESPN wasn't doing a sports center show when church was on. Right. And businesses weren't allowed to be open by law. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. we literally created a society where people had no choice but to go to church. Right. If, if I'm going to yeah, stay home or go to church. Yeah. I'm going to rejoice more about people who come to church when they don't have to than I ever would have about people who are there because they have no choice. Right. You know, and we, we have a generation full of people who were in church because they had no choice. Right. How did that go for us? Didn't go very well. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, um, the Rolling Stones, the, well, not the Rolling Stones, but every American musical figure from the 60s prayed every day in school. You go find the summer of love and you, you isolate on that period of the explosion of hippie culture and you look at those key iconic leaders, many of whom died of overdoses, like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix, yeah. prayed every day in school mm-hmm. because they were in school before the laws changed. Right. So maybe if we did some real praying instead of pledging of allegiance and just saying the words, we'd be much better off. And even if that meant that 90% of the people didn't pray at all, you know, let's really pray when we pray. Right. Uh, I told people when I was in school, every now and then, there were days because of bullying or other factors, when I would come to school already praying, and have to stop praying long enough to have the moment of silence to start praying again when it was over. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because what I was doing before and after that prayer was praying. Right. And what I did when I was reciting the Lord's Prayer with 30 of my classmates was, it was just reciting the Lord's Prayer with 30 of my classmates. Right, right. Not the same thing as praying. Yeah, that's really good. So the, the backward view is, hey, can we go back to a time when everybody just said the words— and really <laughs> upset with that. And I say, no, we got a whole group of people out here in the world who are ready to do something totally different. Right. If we would just turn our attention forward and engage them. Um, but that's a trick. It's scary because what we yeah. want to do has to make a difference. You're right. And it's it's hard to make a difference when 90% of your budget is paying for the building. Hey, you're right. You're right. Crazy. All right. We have so many different kinds of listeners on our, our that listen to our show. <clears throat> For just a moment, Greg, if you could talk to a non-believer, somebody who wouldn't say at all that they maybe agnostic or even atheist. Mhm. Yeah. Um about your relationship with Christ. Because I know you have a personal relationship with God. I don't know, you know, I, I you can tell me what you think that is, but uh uh, I, I would be interested to hear what you would say to them. You, let me just give you a, a moment in time to talk with that person that, that uh, is a non-believer and just curious, kind of curious about what's going on. Well, this is this is tough for me for reasons that are exactly the opposite of what you think. <laughs> because I speak with people who are atheists all the time. It's really, I, I made a mention at a small group meeting at, at the current church we're going to, that when you talk about evangelism, most people focus the evangelism on people who have left a church that they want to bring back in. Right. So it's like a, a third, uh, if, there, if you have three groups, one group is in church, one group has been but left church, and the other group has no interest in going. Right. Mm-hmm. And I spend almost all my time with the third group who has no interest in going. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter to me. I don't feel like I'm personally responsible for them going to a church. But the thing that I do, though, is I don't, I told some people at a, 
at a walk to Emmaus meeting. So a kind of a, a meeting of people who are part of the church, a, a, a cursio is what they call it, a small group. And I told them, I said, how long do you think I spend interacting with people online who don't believe in Jesus before I tell them I'm a Christian? And I said, I wouldn't have known the answer to that a couple of years ago, but since I got on the Simply Syndicated community and started participating with those guys, uh -huh. I found out the answer is nine months. Interesting. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. But I said, <laughs> it's nine months because I'm interested in them getting to know me right. mm -hmm. before I introduce them to my friend. Right. It's very awkward if on the first day I meet somebody, the only thing I want to do is pawn them off to my friend and walk away. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. So I usually Good. wait until people ask me, right. what's your deal? dude, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. which usually happens because at some point along the way they realize, well, hang on, I'm pretty sure this guy's a Christian. Right. How could he be a Christian and have this sort of openness about him where right. we perceive Christianity to be closed off? So I usually wait for people to ask. Mm -hmm. But when that moment comes, or if I feel like it's necessary for me to sort of push the issue, which is very rare, I usually tell people that, that my relationship with, with Jesus comes to me through the Holy Spirit that I have never seen with my own two eyes a vision of Christ. Um, like everybody else, I know who he is and who his character is through what I've read, most of it in the New Testament, but some of it in other sources. There's not a heck of a lot of other sources. Right. Um, so it's the Holy Spirit. And if people say, well, if people will actually have told me, and said, hey, if, if you feel this way about this particular issue, how could you possibly still be a Christian? I say because I've heard answered prayer. And I actually was on the Do Ask, Do Tell podcast talking about religion a couple of years ago with the host of the show. Um, he's gay in England, and he feels that the Church of England has no place for him, so he has no place for them. For them. It's right. mutual, right? And he said to me, he said, how can you be sure that he, he, wasn't, he wasn't asking a translation question. He was actually asking a true experience question. He says, if Paul writes something in a letter, how can you be sure that what Paul writes really happened? Like the book of Acts, the cell on the road to Damascus. How can you be sure that that really happened? And I said, well, you're asking me about transcription and translation and things that are lost, uh, lost over the years? He says, no, the first time he told somebody. Um, how are you sure he remembered it right? I said, well, stop right there. When you've heard answered prayer you're not going to forget it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who haven't heard answered prayer in the way that Paul did. But if you have the experience Paul did, you are never going to forget it. And it seems a little bit mm -hmm. zealous that everything he did the rest of his life was hinged on that one experience. But why wouldn't it be? Mm -hmm. I, so I tell people, yeah. I'm one of those people who, at the moment when I most needed to hear an answer to prayer, I heard an answer to prayer. Right. And it, um, in my my faith was in the balance between 1982 and 1987. It really and well and truly was. And I told Ian, I said, on September 7th, 1987, at 1.37 a.m. in the morning, <laughs> I could tell you the rest of the story someday if you want to hear it. But what I'm telling you is, everything I say after that, you can know for a fact that I'm never going to forget it. That it happened, it was real, changed my life, changed my focus. But it didn't change me into one of the people who are telling you that you don't that they that there's no place for you in church. Wow. It changed me into something totally different. And I don't expect everybody to get that kind of answer to prayer. But 
I expect people to listen to Paul. Right. Because he had that kind of experience. Right. And if I'm blessed, then maybe there's some people who will listen to me. But I'm more likely to be heard, I've found, by people who are either already part of my community of faith or who are so far away that we might call them radical agnostics. The people who are about to leave the church or are just going through the motions or have already left the church, I'm not the right message for them. Right. So that's what I use. I just share my story and say, hey, here's what happened. And that experience has changed my attitude toward the relationship between men and women. It's changed my attitude toward um, what we might call gender and sexual minorities. Mm -hmm. Changed my attitude about a whole host of things. And my answer is the same answer that a fundamentalist might give. God said it. So I'm going to do what God said. You know, that's great. And I was thinking about what you were saying earlier about about the way Jesus lived. And sometimes we preach with words. Sometimes we preach with actions. And I think it's just as important to follow Jesus example as it is to follow every single word that was written down. Oh, so you're so right. But I, I would also say that if you're going to start following every single word that was written down, it's really good to pay attention to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's really important not to pick and choose from what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Just what's I'm going to do this. Jesus. I'm going to do this at the end. So it's really easy for you to cut out if you want to. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's, it's very controversial. I've only done it once or twice on my own show. It's that controversial. Oh, my. And you, you're a show about controversy. So and I better put our seatbelts right? on. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, would, I would definitely say put on your seatbelts. But when, when we hear talk about marriage being between a man and a woman, and, and my position about this is far more moderate than people think. I, I don't have a firmly entrenched position one way or the other. But... Uh, which in its in and of itself seems controversial, right? But I, I guess when you hear that, people are quick to quote Matthew chapter 19, because in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees asked Jesus a very specifically gendered question about a man divorcing his wife. Right. Mm-hmm. And Jesus answers that question with lots of talk about men and women being married and men and women getting divorced. And I'm not sure that everything Jesus says there is proscriptive about men and women, because he's answering a very specific question. It'd be very odd if the Pharisees asked him a question about a man divorcing his wife and Jesus went off on a tangent about people who aren't married. You know, it would just be very weird, right? Mm -hmm. But in that same passage, if you read a little bit further, Jesus uses a three-word phrase for the first time in written recorded human history. Now, I got an open mind about being wrong. If somebody can find something in in Plato and Socrates, (laughs) I'm all ears, but... I am unaware of any time in human history where these three words were put together in this context to answer the question of why some men don't have any interest in marrying women. Jesus said, some men are born that way. Mm-hmm. He did. He said some were born eunuchs and others were, yeah. He That's did, why didn't I, he? Mm-hmm. I shared this with a Cleveland pastor and he said, well, I'm not sure you're, not sure you're using the word eunuch correctly. And I said, so when Paul talks about the thorn in his side, do you suppose that that's because he had his testicles ritually removed? <laughs> he looked at me like I was crazy. I said, Jesus talks about three kinds of eunuchs, and they're, they're all three just different and distinct. One group is born that way. That's why they're not interested in marrying women. Mm-hmm. One group actually are legally 
the definition of eunuchs. They were prisoners of war who had a surgery performed on them so that they wouldn't act up in the courts or act up in the prisons. And the third are missionaries who give up a personal life in the service of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So I don't think all three of those are supposed to mean surgically eunuchs. I think one of them is surgically a eunuch. One of them is somebody who would be very interested in getting married and having a traditional family life, but gives it up for the priesthood. If I'm a Catholic, that's where I, that's where I, I would go. Right. And the third one has a completely different reason why they're not necessarily interested in, in, in being married to a woman. I think Jesus gives us three examples for a reason. They're all three distinct. And in one of them, he uses the expression born that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is. So I've thought about get... that passage before, too, like that. I think I even mentioned to Rick about that, what, probably 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I said, you know, there's yeah. that sometimes and sometimes people that are born that way, sometimes maybe they have a calling to be um, committed to the Lord full time and not have a uh, a family. If that's something they don't have a desire for, maybe they have a sensitive heart to be a minister or pastor or priest. Um, I don't know. This is God's thing. <laughs> yeah. But the, the reality is Jesus, Jesus said a lot of really hard things, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we're really quick to quote him when, when it serves our purpose. But... Right. But not so if it doesn't. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount is filled with lots and lots of things that I know I don't get anywhere near measuring up to on almost any day of the week. Right. I know. know, It's like, wow. And to me, that's a nice, long-running, well, it's a sermon, right? Jesus telling us exactly what he thinks, really tells us exactly what his mission is. Yeah. And um, I I find people who look at me askance when I ask them when the last time they read the Sermon on the Mount was— said, yeah, we ought, we ought to be reading it until we don't need to read it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until we know what it says. Yeah, yeah. You, don't really, yeah. you don't really hear the Sermon on the Mount preached in a lot of churches this day. No. Nope. About humility and just all this kindness and generosity from, from the Lord, the heart thing. You know, it's yeah. about how things look. <laughs> mm-hmm. turning, the, turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile, yeah. giving the man the shirt off your back. Mm-hmm. You know, these aren't popular ideas in a big chunk of Christianity because they're uncomfortable. Yeah. They reveal that maybe we're politically rebelling against ideas that Jesus would be in favor of. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's okay to politically rebel against an idea on political grounds. It's not okay to to rebel against an idea on religious grounds if you don't line up with Jesus on the issue. Exactly. That's very, Mm -hmm. very true. Well, this has been a fascinating and awesome discussion. And I, I'm going to take you up on having you back on the program again and talking about your experience at one twenty-three in the morning, was it? One, uh, yeah, but yeah. it was uh, one thirty-seven. Oh, one thirty-seven. Okay, February seventh. All right. Well, we'll talk. Would you be back on the program and talk about that? Sure. Okay. All right. Great. So, how can people get a hold of you? I know at the very beginning we talked a little bit. We're probably going to. I'm thinking we have enough information here and enough great of an interview that we might split this into two parts. That would work. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Because we, we talked a lot. Um, uh, let's I was do, on. Go ahead. I was on Greetings from Nowhere a couple of months ago, and she had to do the same thing. She had to split it into two parts. Well, I, I love it. It's because you're very interesting and awesome to talk to. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to listen to your podcasts 
and maybe engage in some dialogue, maybe on some social media and stuff. How can they do that? Yeah, I've got on Facebook, I've got a page for inappropriate conversations. It may be the only one. It's definitely the only one that's listed as a cause. Uh, I don't I to me, this is a hobby. It's not how I make my living. Right. So I, I've got that one listed as a cause. I also have a page for Walk the Earth. To be honest with you, both of them could use a few more followers, truth okay. be known. So right. um, I am at IC underscore Greg on Twitter, and I'm at IC underscore Greg on uh, SoundCloud now. Oh, cool. I'll get back to that in just a second. Okay. And um, by email, I'm uh, IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. So trying to make it a little bit easy. It's it's always going to be an IC underscore Greg kind of thing. And you're – I do reply to emails, too. Okay, good. And what, you're on Stitcher Radio, too. I'm also on Stitcher. Yeah, so and iTunes. Stitcher, Stitcher and iTunes will always give you, like, the last 20 episodes or so. Right. Um, the website at inappropriateconversations.org has everything I've ever done. Right. So it's, in some ways, a case study into um, sound quality and awkwardness, to go back <laughs> to the very beginning. Oh, trust I, I me. I think ours would be the same way. I'm, embar- the I'm not embarrassed, but it's definitely a different quality. I heard Jen and Angela talking about their first few shows. They just pulled off the feed. Yeah, they don't even have I'm, it on there anymore. I'm tempted because for the same reasons, right? Yeah, but I know. I just, I've left it all out there. What I've done with SoundCloud here lately is I've gone back to the beginning, and I've just put clips, some of them longer because like it's an entire section, like an entire short story or a poem, some of them just short clips to give people a feel for what the episodes are. Right. Because every episode has like a paragraph about it, but sometimes it's easier to just click on a link and say, okay, I've, I, I get where he's heading with here. I don't need to listen to this one. Or if that's a short story buried in the middle of the podcast, I think I need to understand what was said in and around it. Right. So I'm going to keep doing that until I run out of SoundCloud space. And eventually I'll pull the oldest ones off and just keep progressing through the history that way. Sure. It gives people a way of listening in. It's a good idea. That's very, very cool. Okay, excellent. And your once again, your website is? www.inappropriateconversations.org Very good. All right. Thank you, Greg, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And again, we just, both of us, want to thank you for your support and your encouragement. You are, you're our favorite retweeter and and um, you also share on Facebook all, all of our stuff, too. And we just can't tell you how much that means to us. It's so It's so refreshing and nice to have a friend yeah. like you. I never know what the etiquette is. At some point, somebody may pull me aside in social media and say, dude, you shouldn't be doing that. But my attitude is if I love something or if I intend to listen to it and haven't gotten to it yet, yeah. um, having it on my my own wall helps me remember, hey, there's a new episode out That's there. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And it also lets everyone else know, hey, this guy is as weird as he seems. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's talking about Diary of a Madman by Ozzy Osbourne, a rock and roll podcast two weeks ago. Right. And he's talking about his faith on Take Him With You Now. And yeah. The real truth of it is Lord only knows what he's going to do next. Yeah, that's right. Because half the time I'm not sure. And that's good. That's yeah. not a bad yeah. thing. <laughs> All right. Well, we will we will figure out with your schedule when you can come back and share with, share with us what happened to you that changed everything. Uh, but thank you again so much for being on the program. Thank you. And there you go. What do you think? Well, I really enjoyed doing the interview with Greg, and I hope everyone enjoyed as much listening to it as we enjoyed 
doing it. Yeah, I hope everybody got a lot out of it. I think it was fascinating. And like I say, if you want more of Greg and his personality and how he approaches the world, um, tune in. Um, tune in. I guess they don't tune in anymore. Um, <laughs> download. Go check out his stuff at inappropriateconversations.org. Mm-hmm. And you can also find his Walk the Earth there as well. You can enter that into Stitcher or enter that into iTunes and find his podcast as well. Plus, I'll have some links in our show notes for you. Yeah. So there you go. Very good, dear. Okay, so I'm we're gonna um, we're gonna go ahead and take off. Uh, I'm gonna play the message that I did at the Baptist Church <coughs> called Water Skiing for Jesus. In its entirety, about 33 minutes, I think, altogether. Um, so you'll hear a little bit of music, and then the message will start. Uh, and so, Amy, if people want to get a hold of us, how do they do that? You can get a hold of us at rick at takehimwithyou.com or amy at takehimwithyou.com. This is true. Or you can get a hold of us at our Facebook pages, facebook.com forward slash rick.moyer or facebook.com forward slash amy.moyer you're good thank you if you would like to donate to the podcast we would really appreciate that had a lot of expenses lately for equipment and different things that we've been improving and doing um you can do so by going to paypal and um donating to rick at take him with you.com and that uh, it's not non-prop we're not non-profit so uh, if you give, you kind of just give if you want. Uh, but we yeah, would really appreciate that if you want to. Even just a few dollars can yeah. really help. Just we're we're not getting rich meet. off our podcast, I guarantee you. Yeah, just to, any donation can go just to help keep it going. <laughs> That'd be yeah. great. So if you want to do that, that would be really much appreciated. Okay, I think that's everything. Um, mm-hmm. Stick around a little bit if you want to listen to that message that I did at the Baptist Church. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Taken With You podcast. This has been a Moyer Multimedia LLC production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Today, I want to talk to you about um, water skiing with Jesus. You're looking at me like, what? Actually, I've entitled this sermon, Water Walkers. Or Sinkers. But we'll find out which ones we are by the end of this. So, if you would, would you pray with me and then we'll get into the the Bible today. Lord, thank you again for your Bible Uh, When we read it, Lord, it's not a book full of you shall not do this and you shall not do that. It's a book full of you can do this and you can do this too. And if you do this, this will be great. So God, it's a a life-giving love letter that you've given to us. And Lord, we don't always claim to understand everything in it, but we certainly know the author of it, and that is you. So we thank you again for it. Lord, as we read it today... Would you bring it off the page like only you can and help us, Lord, to practically 
engage in what we learn today. That we might live our lives more, I don't know, in touch and in love with you. Thank you, God, again for this great time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I always try to write a statement. This is the entire sermon in one sentence. And now I've told you my secret. So you could just take it and write this down. And it's pretty much what I'm going to talk about today. Are you ready? What we keep our eyes on many times will determine where we end up. I would just let that sit. I've had when, when we were teaching our kids how to drive, actually, Amy, most of it's coming down now. I'd say, keep your eyes on where you're going, <laughs> because sometimes they get distracted. We get distracted, and we'll just look like this, and, you know, the car just kind of swerves that way. That can be dangerous, but many of us have done that, or we'll start out really good on a project, and then we'll go, oh, that looks really nice, squirrel, and we just kind of head that way. And we miss where we were supposed to be going because we're not, you know how they say in baseball, keep your eyes on the ball. If you keep your eyes on the ball, then you can make contact with it and get it out over their heads. That's what you want to do. Well, life is a lot like that. And what we focus on, what we we look at all the time is usually where we end up going. Jesus knew this. He understands human nature. After all, he created us. He knows how we tick. So what I love about Jesus is he constantly reminded us to focus. I was so excited. Um, I found out that my fancy macro lens that I have on my my uh, camera that I can interchange lenses and stuff. Uh, it was broken. And I found out that there was a place I could send it to get fixed. The problem was it wouldn't autofocus for me. So I would get down there. Right, I'm looking at the hairs on the spider's lips. You know spiders have lips? No, they don't actually. But they, you get right down there and you can see all this detail. And I go to take the picture and it go out of focus. Ugh. Every single time. It got so frustrating. But then I found a place where I could send the lens in. They would open it up, clean it out, and replace the parts that were causing it not to focus correctly. For a certain amount of money. They charged that money and sent my lens back. I, I, and I was skeptical. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's probably going to do the same thing. I've been so frustrated. I pull it out, put it onto the camera, walked out, and I took the most amazing, cool pictures. Because when I pressed the button, these little things showed up on the inside the camera, these little uh, focus spots, and it went right in exactly where I wanted it. Took the picture. I had to have it worked on so it would focus correctly. We are lenses, folks, and sometimes we need to be worked on so that we focus correctly because a lot of times we'll get out of focus. And all they had to do was replace a couple of parts, that some little ball bearings inside the lens, and then a little uh, thing I, I must have been dropped or hit too hard, and it had, it had caused a little plastic part to break. So they just took them out, put new ones in, and now it works like a brand new lens. And it does what it was supposed to do. And sometimes we need to take time to get up on the shelf and let God work on us and tweak us a little bit, replace some parts, get us thinking straight again. And then when we go out, we can do what we were made to do. Well, interesting, in Matthew chapter 14, 
We all know the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the fish and the bread, you know, the little kid's lunch. It's like, hey, man, let me see your lunch. Today it'd be like pulling out Lunchables from some kid's backpack and saying, Lord, bless this. And then just keep putting out the little crackers and pepperoni. It just keep going. Well, back then, you know, it was fish and loaves. It was a miracle. And all these people, not just, I mean, it says Jesus fed the 5,000. But it also, if you look at that, there were far more than 5,000 people that ate that day. And it was, a, it was a, quite a fun feast and exciting. And wow, free food for all these people out of one lunch. It was a miracle. So the disciples had just gotten finished watching this amazing thing happen right before their eyes. Because Jesus had said to them, well, you feed them. And they're like, but Jesus, we don't. It's, it's a whole day's ride to here, and it costs so much to get all these different things. I, I don't, we, there's no way. We ought to send them away. And he goes, give me, give me that kid's lunch. Well, and then the miracle takes place. And they watch it right in front of their eyes. They watch the God of the universe multiply what little there was, take what was there, and use it for his glory. They watch that happen. So now we're going to pick up. You always wonder, what happened right afterwards? I love that kind of stuff, you know. I love sequels to movies, because I want to know what happens, you know, later. This is the sequel to Jesus Feeds the 5,000. You ready? Chapter 14 of Matthew, starting in verse 22. It says, immediately after this, feeding 5,000. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake While he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Okay? Night fell while he was there all alone. So here we have Jesus does this big miracle. He sends the people home and he says to his disciples, basically his staff of people that went around with him, said, here, you guys, I'm going to go up here and pray. You get in the boat, go across. I'll, I'll meet you over there later. Okay, all right, boss, we'll do that. They get in the boat and off they go. He's up praying. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen. And they were fright or they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. He said, Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. What? Peter, what? Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. Now, this is faith. And walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. And he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. 
And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, we've all heard that story, right? You've heard that? You've been in church for a while, you've heard that story. But have you ever thought how that practically applies to our own lives? I want to go back through that just briefly and, and talk just a little bit about some of these sections of Scripture. Because I really believe Jesus knows the best for you and I. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus really has the best intentions for you? He does. He, he knows you better than you know yourself. And we know ourselves pretty well. But when we engage in a relationship with Christ, what happens if we'll let him... He actually does become the boss of our life. And, and the nice part is, he's a great boss. I've had some good bosses in my life, and I've had some bad bosses in my life. The bad ones are no fun. Ever had a bad boss? Careful if they're in here too. Careful. Now, uh, I've had some pretty gnarly bosses. Now that I work for myself, I really, when I complain to the boss, I'm beside myself. But that's beside the point. <clears throat> I believe Jesus is the greatest boss. He is the one that has our best in mind. And he loves us and he cares about us. So it says immediately after this, Jesus insisted the disciples get back in the boat. to cross the other side of the lake. And he sent the people home and he goes to pray. If Jesus... Asked you to go to the other side. No matter what happens. He will make sure you get there. I want you to think about that for a moment. If God. Uh, in your life. How many times have you felt. Now I'm not saying that you get this audible voice out of heaven. That says. You know. Amy. Go to 7-Eleven. No. I'm not talking about that. Well, Even though that would be fun. We get a Slurpee. But. I'm talking about that impression or that feeling, uh, not just a feeling, it's, it's something about when you read the Bible and when you pray, God begins to speak to your heart in different ways, and you kind of know what you're geared for by the talents and the giftings that God has given you. And you'll find as you go through life, the older you get, the more clear that can become if you serve God. And if Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, I guarantee you, he will make sure you get there. He will do everything he can to help you get there. So his disciples are freaking out a little bit as they get in the boat and they're going across the water. Three in the morning. They've been traveling for a little bit. Three in the morning and the wind is strong and there's a storm going on and they all think they're going to die. They're in a, in a bad situation. But the one thing they could take heart in is the fact that Jesus said, go to the other side, I'll meet you there. He's fully expecting that he's going to meet them on the other side. He's not going to be attending their funeral. He's not going to be trying to get the boat out of the water and find where they are swimming with their life preservers and everything. That's not what he's going to, they're going to get to the other side. He's told them that at least. And the waters are being stirred up and the wind is blowing. My second point this morning is life happens. It's not always smooth sailing, is it? But in the midst of the storm, Jesus comes to us. He's above the water, the waves, and he's ready to help if we'll let him. 
I want you to think about that for a moment. Many times we think that Jesus isn't there. That we're going through a rough time. Things have, there's a tragedy or something happens and we think, God, why weren't you there? When the entire time he's right there on top of the wave saying, come to me. It's like the little kid who's afraid of the fire trucks. Because every time there's a fire, there's a fire truck there. They associate the fire with the fire trucks making the fire. But the fire truck's there to help. God is there to help if we will let him. Many times we don't want him to help us. But he's there to help. And Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. And I want you to hear this this morning. For you, individually, every one of us, I want you to hear this. Jesus speaks to you right now. In the midst of your storm, in the midst of all that's going on around you. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. You don't, you're not alone. You may think, oh, nobody else goes through this. I, man, I'm the only one. But you're not. And guess what? You're not alone. Jesus is here. And he says this to you. Take courage. What does that mean? Take courage. That means that Jesus is offering us courage if we'll have faith in his ability to help us. Wow. Don't be afraid. And you know what? Fear is the thing that really paralyzes us, doesn't it? I read this great book called Who Moved My Cheese? Highly recommended. And one of the lines is... uh, One of the lines is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Do you know that most of our lives are either run by fear or by faith? There's really no in-between. Do you know that a lot of people that could do amazing things don't do them because they're scared of failing? They're scared of being humiliated. They're scared they're not going to make it. And most of the great achievements in the world today that we know of People failed many times before they, before they won, before they had the victory. What would you do if you weren't afraid? What ministry would you start if you weren't afraid? What relative would you go and approach and, and try to patch up things if you weren't afraid? I don't know. What job would you go for if you weren't afraid? Hmm. There's endless possibilities here, folks, if we weren't afraid, if we had faith. So that brings me to my third point. Jesus is always speaking to us, always. But many times the storm drowns him out. It gets too loud, all the extra things going on, all the things that are distracting us. It just drowns us out. What is he saying? What's he saying today? Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I was telling Amy, I did a jingle for a hair salon, a chain of hair salons in New Mexico. And my policy is I charge them half up front and then half when we're done. And I watermark my product. So if I'm singing a a jingle, you know, I won't say the name of them. But anyway, I'm singing this song. I actually put underneath it. More in multimedia, more in multimedia, more in multimedia. Because they're not going to play that on the radio, are they? But when they own it and they pay me for it, they take that little part out and they've got this great jingle. That's how, how I can guarantee I get paid for my work. 
So I got the first half up front, and I did this, the project, and then I billed for the second half, and the money didn't come, and the money didn't come. And finally, I, I'm persistent because in business, unfortunately, you have to keep up on top of it. I like being creative. I don't really like doing the billing, you know, but I do it anyway because that's what you do when you're a business. So I got a hold of him and said, hey, you know, I never got, you know, sorry about this, but I never got payment. Um, do you know what, how soon you can have that, you know? <laughs> and a lady comes back and says, well, I sent you that payment the day I got the invoice. I don't know what you're talking about. So in email, you never know the tone of it, you know? And so it can go like three or four days between them if people don't check their mail all the time. So I'm sitting there going, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And it, I mean, it, it didn't come in. I couldn't figure this out. Well, anyway, I got all worried, didn't I? And it was stressing me out. Oh, man, I got to get that done and, and I'm going to, you know, do this and that. But all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this bill that isn't being paid. And how many know that once you concentrate on something that's, that's getting you away from what you're really supposed to be doing, you don't do that well anymore, do you? And you think about our life for a moment. That's exactly what happens to us. We, get, we start thinking about the things we really shouldn't even be thinking about. We don't even really need to worry. God's got it under control. Okay, so what it finally happens? You want to know what finally happened? She sends me the receipt for her payment. I'm like, ooh, she did pay. And I'm like, oh, no. So I'm looking. I don't have any record of it. And then I looked, clicked on a couple of things and realized she had paid my personal account, not my business account. And I hadn't checked my personal account because I haven't been using it a bunch. And there was the money. So I felt really stupid. So I wrote back and said, thank you so much. I'm so sorry for the mix-up. And I found the money. And thank you. You're awesome. And she wrote. And here's what I thought she was all ticked off at me for confronting her, right? She writes back this hilarious email that says, oh, lots of laugh. You're awesome. You're creative. I can't wait to use you again. Three days of worrying when I didn't even have to worry at all. And the money was already there. I don't know if any of you are like me, but I can get so concentrated on the distraction that I don't do what I'm supposed to be doing right in front of me. So Peter calls out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Peter's pretty bold here. I don't know. When I went charter fishing, I wouldn't have got out of the boat. I was on the bathroom floor, passed out with no, nothing left in my stomach for eight hours. I'll never go out again, ever. Nope. Don't ask me. I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care if I ever eat salmon again because of that. I'll never go. It was the worst experience of my life. Oh. So Peter says, as they're going, now I understand this because they're going up and down, up and down. It's rolling this way. and rolling. I mean, I pray, God, please, for three seconds, just let it be flat. Never happened. Ugh. I still remember it. It was years ago. So Peter says to him, bright idea, Peter. Peter says, hey, if it's really you, because this is scary, you're walking on the water. Tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. What? So what does Jesus do? I think Jesus thought it was funny. And he goes, okay. All right. Yes, come. So Peter's like, oh, crud. He said to come out. <laughs> what do I do now? Well, I guess you, all the other disciples are watching. You probably need to get out of the boat. I imagine it's like that first step when you're coming off a roof onto a ladder, that scary moment in time when you, you got that rush of, I'm either falling and killing myself or I'm going to get down. I'm sure that's exactly what Peter felt like when he, he turned around and shaking and put his foot down like this and thought, 
well, I'm either going for a really bad swim or I'm going to go see Jesus. Well, can you imagine when, he, when his feet came down and it went click? <laughs> Whoa. I wonder what it felt like. I wonder if it was mushy or if it was hard. I don't know. And then he turns around and he's, everything's going like this. And he's just like, woo, water skiing with Jesus. And here he goes. He starts to walk towards him. I mean, we're like, you put one foot in front of the other, and soon you, you know, he's, there he goes. And at first, the Bible says it was working. It's working for him. But he's got his eyes on Jesus. It really is him. Can you imagine the wonder and the excitement? And all the other disciples going, I'm sure glad his feet are not me. And here he goes. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that he started to look around. When we take our eyes off Jesus, when we go for another plan or idea, worship another God or a system, we begin to sink and sink fast. And that's exactly what happened. He got his eyes off of Jesus, and immediately the ground or the water that he was walking on wasn't so firm. All of a sudden his toes got wet, and then his ankles, and then his knees, and then we'll just not talk about the rest, but he's going down. And pretty soon it's going to be, it's going to be the last thing he sees is, is Jesus going, and he's gone, right? But what does Peter do? Something very intelligent, something we should do before we're under. Jesus is listening to him, and when he saw the strong wind and the waves, and he was terrified, he began to sink. There's that fear again, terrified. He got scared, and as a result of it, Instead of having faith, he got scared, and the, and the fear caused him to sink. But what does he do? Very intelligent. He says the, the magic words. I don't like using the term magic, but he says, Save me, Lord. And the Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And guess what? When he shouted those words, I'm not an eloquent prayer, not, Oh, God, and not infinite Wisdom of ages, please reach out to me in your mercy and grace. Amen. He didn't do that, did he? It's because God doesn't really care about the flowery speech we use when we pray. What he really cares is our heart. And Peter's heart was, I'm sinking. Jesus, help. And the Bible says he meet Jesus immediately. Didn't wait for two weeks. Didn't go, I want him to go under just so he knows what it feels like. He didn't do that. It says he immediately reached out and picked him up. See, we're not a plaything to God. We aren't. We're not a toy. We're the apple of his eye. He cares about where we're at. So if we pray, Lord, help us, he does. But we got to be open. We can't let the fear take over. We got. I imagine that when he said, Lord, help me, he was looking right in his eyes going, and Jesus reached out and pulled him up. Wow. When we're sinking, it's a really good idea to cry out for help. Peter is smart, and he asks for Jesus to help him. How many of us can learn by that? Don't wait until you're under the water. When I was a kid, we had swimming lessons. At the YMCA. Actually, it was the Hoquim Pool, sponsored by the YMCA. 
And I'll never forget uh, graduating from the shallow end to the deep end. You know what I'm talking about. Three feet and, you know, a kid in grade school can barely reach over the water at three feet and you have a good time in that section of the pool. But then you go where the big boys go. The 12-foot section of... And there's this diving board. And all the cool kids are cannonballing off it and diving and doing all this stuff. I was scared to death. And I knew which day it was. I knew because they said, on Friday, we'll be going off the diving board. So I worried myself sick for days. Friday comes. I'm a bundle of nerves. I'm, little Ricky is not excited. And he gets in line. And all the other kids are so excited. There's a couple others that were hanging in the back with me. And of course, we got in the last of the line because we really didn't want to do this. Hoping they'd run out of time and we wouldn't have to. They're all standing in line. So the first one gets up there. Boing! He does this flip and bloosh in the water. And everybody's, ah! And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I'm going to die. So the next one, next one, next one. Even the girls are doing awesome. They're jumping off. And it finally gets to me. Actually, no, the friend in front of me got up and ran, ran off. And ran him back into the locker room. He got a failing grade on that one. But I wished I could do that. But I was too embarrassed to do that. So I got up on the board and I'm shaking. And instead of running and jumping, I walk to the end and look over. <laughs> Not a good idea. Our swimming instructor wasn't the nice swimming instructors they have now that are patient and kind. This was, you know, I don't, I don't remember if it was a lady. She, yeah, it was a lady and she was not fun. She was like that, just do it. You know, she would throw the kids in. It was like, oh my gosh. So I'm standing there going, oh my gosh, I have to jump off. It's a long ways down there. And I'll never forget backing up and thinking, I shouldn't do this. I can't even, I don't even know how to tread water really well. So I ran and I jumped. And you know how it is when you get into a situation where you don't really want to be there, but it, it's all traumatic and it seems like in the, in the real world, everything just happens in a couple seconds. It, it went, and everything slowed down. And I jump and I'm, I'm up and then I realize I'm going in the water and there's nothing I can do about it. And I come down. Boom, my shorts are like, like that. And I'm like, ah, I opened my mouth. Dumb. The, water, the air comes out and I'm, because I was, you know, I was too skinny then. But here I was under the water and then I panic because the water's going to my mouth. I think I'm dying. I think I'm going to drown. The next thing I know, because everything's going slow, is there's this metal pole hitting me in the side of the head. Well, the lady had taken the pole that you rescue the people with, and she's hitting me on the side of the head going, like, grab a hole, Ricky. Well, I finally did. She pulled me up. I was so embarrassed. I'll never forget that. I'll never, ever forget it. What was the point of that? Can you swim now? Yeah, I can swim great now. I love it. I love the diving board now. But, boy, then it was scary. But it, but it was fear. It was fear. And I was scared of things because I hadn't spent the time to really learn what I needed to learn. Well, it's a good idea to ask for help when you're, when you're drowning. <laughs> and I didn't ask for help, but the lady knew I needed it. And I'm sure she wasn't as bad as I make her out to be. But uh, I was real thankful for that long pull at that point. I didn't go off the diving board for a long time after that because I thought I was going to die. So what happens is Jesus gets into the boat with Peter. 
And then all of a sudden, all the wind just stops. Can you imagine? It's like, all right, get in there. And Jesus gets in. And they're all kind of looking at each other. What? Then they did the appropriate thing and they fell to their knees and they worshiped God saying, truly, you really are the son of God. See, I think it's important that when we ask for help and Jesus does help, that because <laughs> he does, that we give him the glory he's due and we acknowledge who is the one that helped us. Now, Jesus uses people, which is great. Many times. And many times we have things happen. We go, how did that ever happen? Well, it's God. So to close, I'll give you number six. When Jesus gets in the boat with us, even if the storm seemed like it was going to kill us, it doesn't. In fact, it simply helped us to have a stronger faith in his ability. Because you know what? We wouldn't really have faith in God if we never had anything, if everything just went perfect for us. We wouldn't need God, would we? But we do need him, don't we? And when we go through things, instead of letting them sink us, what we need to do is let them strengthen us. So the question this morning then is, are we water walkers or are we sinkers? Has our circumstances been such that we are watching the storm rage around us? We've taken our eyes off Jesus. I think it's time that we let him in the boat, in our boat. We let him calm the storm and help us get to the other side so we can resume our lives serving Let's pray. You really are amazing. God, you know us so well. And you are so ready to help us. And God, we're so sorry for getting our eyes off of you and getting them on the wind and the waves, on, our, on that big bill that we have to pay or that circumstance that really has us upset. Lord, sorry for spending so much time thinking about and worrying about that, that we haven't spent time concentrating on you. Lord, thank you that if we concentrate on you and we ask for help, you reach down and you pull us up above our circumstances. What an amazing God you are. What a great helper you are. And what, what compassion, what love you have. We're blown away by it. We're so amazed. Thank you, Lord. For that. And thank you for dying on the cross for us, for taking our sin upon you, for taking our place, for raising from the dead, and for offering eternal life for any of us that would call upon your name. Help us, Lord, to be water walkers. Help us to defy the storms that rage around us. And let us walk to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Be water walkers. It took his breath away, holding the bank page. He got the letter, they go and take the house away. I'm about to have a daughter. He yells it in the air, feeling the weight of the world. I just don't care. A cigarette, felt it on a slip, driving home on a long road with regret. He pulls the window down, shouts it out loud, wishing the